Welcome to Thrive Community Podcast. We are a church community that is passionate about helping you thrive in your life with Jesus. If you're after more information about Thrive Community, hop onto our website at www.thrivecommunity.au. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired by this message. What we wanted to, to do today was just continue off the back of the last few weeks. And I know um, some of us have been to some of those and not all of them. Hopefully, those of you that haven't been there, at least the messages are available where we started talking about the precious blood of Jesus and all that it's done for us. And, you know, some of those songs as well, just the lyrics are so powerful, talking about the salvation that we have, the redemption that we have in Jesus and all that his blood has, has accomplished and you know, we spent the first week talking about how the precious blood of Jesus has made a way for our souls to find wholeness because of all that he suffered and all that he endured. Then we talked about how the blood of Jesus has also made available a pathway for us to experience wholeness in our bodies through his suffering and his sacrifice. And then today I want to at least open up the, the topic of talking about what the blood of Jesus has done for us spiritually as I was kind of thinking about that journey, I was reminded of almost like past the parcel, right? We've kind of had past the parcel going around. The first couple of layers with perhaps smaller gifts have been revealed. And we're now getting to the big one right in the middle. That spiritual redemption and salvation that we have in Christ. I don't know whether anyone's seen the Bluey episode. Have you seen the Bluey past the parcel episode? Yeah. No? Yes? How good is that? It's this, this whole episode about kind of the new way of past the parcel versus the old way where you feel like you have to have a present for every kid in every layer rather than one big present in the middle and everyone else misses out and the kind of the tension between the old school and the new school and, and whether we're becoming a generation of wimps. <laughs> but I do feel like we're really getting now into that big present right in the middle of past the parcel because ultimately if it wasn't for our spiritual redemption, our spiritual salvation, we would have nothing. And that is ultimately what the cross of Christ at its core was all about, re-establishing our right relationship with the Father. And a bit of a disclaimer right, right up front, you know, this is trying to explain in human words, human understanding, something that is so deeply spiritual. And we will never truly understand all that he has done. It's almost impossible for our minds to truly grasp the extent of what Jesus endured and what he suffered and what that means for our spiritual lives. Ultimately, it's, it has to be more than intellectual knowledge. It has to be revelation knowledge that, that we grab a hold on to because our own minds will never be able to understand that. And ultimately, this is you know, 30, 40 minutes where we could probably go on for the next decade trying to look at all that Christ really has made available for us. But my prayer is that through our time together this morning, we would just have another rock of revelation established in our hearts because it's the rock of revelation knowledge that Christ in many ways says that it's upon that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so it's that revelation knowledge, that deeper understanding of all that Christ has endured and all that he's made available for us that will help us to continue to be the church that he wants us to be, to advance the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And so... With that in mind, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning because I think for us to understand what Jesus has done 
for us spiritually, we need to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when sin first entered humanity. And we're going to go through a few scriptures. Hopefully the journey is easy enough for us to follow. It will be a bit teachy, but I pray that it's something that encourages us. And like I said, establishes a strength in our revelation um, to understand more about all that God has done in and through the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus. So we're actually going to start in Romans 5. And this is speaking about the time when sin first entered humanity. Romans 5, verses 12 to 14. And it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to stop it or escape its power. Because they all sinned. Sin was committed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone where there is no law against it. Yet death ruled over mankind from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who had not yet sinned as Adam did. Adam is a type of him, of Christ, who was to come, but in reverse. Adam brought destruction, Christ brought salvation. I'm reading from the Amplified. And there it speaks about sin coming into the world through one man. And since that time, death has spread to all people. Sin and death has spread to all people. No one was able to stop it or escape its power. And in that way, Adam was a type of Christ, but in reverse. I really like that kind of thought or analogy that on one hand, here is Adam who brought destruction but the reverse of that was Christ who brought salvation. And I think if we think about this through the, the lens of, of new birth, which we often talk about in the context of us being born again, and think about this idea of Adam being a type of Christ, but in reverse. You see, Adam also was born again in the garden when he fell, but he was born again in the nature of sin. Right? He was perfect in his relationship with God, and then sin entered in, and he was born again into the nature of of sin, born again by the spirit of Satan right at the very beginning. His nature became the nature of sin and this sin nature has then spread to all people throughout the generations. And as it says in Romans 5, then no one has been able to stop it or escape its power. Sin has continued, that sin nature through the generations, through all of humanity. And we've saw then, you know, reading through the Old Testament and just reading through history, you see the result of that sin nature play out through the generations for thousands of years. And ultimately, despite all of the attempts of different civilizations and different societies, the Israelites tried all sorts of religious rules and regulations, all sorts of laws, but no one was able to stop sin or escape its power. No matter what they tried, they couldn't properly deal with the sin problem. No matter how many rules or regulations they put in place, Quite quickly, they fell back into disobedience, into sexual immorality, envy, idolatry, lying, stealing, whatever it was. They couldn't escape the power of sin. And wh why? Why is this? Why, despite all of those laws, all of those rules and regulations, were they unable to deal with the, the sin problem? Right? I feel like it's because sin is a deeply spiritual issue. And imposing kind of physical, external rules and regulations, we're never able to deal with what really is a deep issue of our nature and of our heart. And that's really why religion is always going to be dead religion, because it's putting external rules trying to deal with something that is a deeply spiritual issue. It will never produce the fruit that it needs to, because it's an external response for something that ultimately needs a spiritual cure. 
right? Sin is a disease of the spirit. It's, a, it's infected our very nature and it needs a very spiritual cure. And this is picked up in Hebrews where it contrasts kind of the old covenant and the new. Hebrews 9, verse 9 to 10. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Classic Translation. I love the Amplified Translation. You've probably worked that out by now. (laughs) Hebrews 9, verse 9 to 10. And it says, Seeing that that first outer portion of the tabernacle was a parable, a visible symbol or type or picture of the present age, in its gifts and sacrifices are offered, and yet are incapable of perfecting the conscience or of cleansing and renewing the inner man of the worshipper. Right? What that's saying there is ultimately all of the rules, regulations, all of the law, all of those sacrifices were incapable of perfecting, cleansing, renewing the inner man of the worshipper because there were external rules and regulations rather than dealing with the ultimately spiritual reality of sin. For the ceremonies deal only with clean and unclean meats and drinks and different washings, mere external rules and regulations for the body imposed to tide the worshippers over until the time of setting things straight, of reformation, of the complete new order when Christ the Messiah shall establish the reality of what these things foreshadow, a better covenant. I love that description. So powerful that ultimately old covenant, there was rules and regulations that were in place trying to tide worshippers over until the time came when Christ appeared and things were set straight, a time of reformation, a complete new order where there was a better covenant established and instilled through all that Christ has done for us. And so if those old rules and regulations, that old covenant was incapable of cleansing us of our sins and renewing our spirits, there had to be a way through the new covenant for us to find freedom and deliverance from that sin. And so if we think about that new covenant we just talked about, we just participated in communion, this reformation, this complete new order, this better covenant that was ushered in through the work of Christ, how is that new covenant established? We were just talking about that before. You know, it's not Ribena, (laughs) but the new covenant is established in his blood. It's by his blood that the new covenant is established and ratified. Matthew 26, 27 to 28. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new and better covenant, which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many as a substitutionary atonement for the forgiveness of sins. And so we had this old covenant that was incapable of cleansing us from our sin. And then we have a new covenant, this reformation, this whole new order that's established and ratified in the blood of Jesus. And so what I want us to do just for the next little while is we're going to look at the new covenant and look at a couple of the promises in the new covenant and begin to understand that not only did the blood ratify and establish the new covenant, but it's also the blood that fulfills the promises that are in there. It's only by the blood that we can actually see the fulfillment of the promises that are made within the new covenant itself. And that new covenant is described in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. As I said, there's a bit of scripture in this, but hopefully we're able to go on a journey together and just fall in love afresh and and have fresh sense of gratitude in our hearts for all that Christ has done. Jeremiah 31 
Verse 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. Each man will no longer teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord. I love this. For they will all know me through personal experience from the least of them to the greatest. Isn't that such a great promise? From the least to the greatest, we will all have the opportunity to experience and know God through personal experience. Says the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will no longer remember their sin. And what I wanna focus on is that very last sentence there. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will no longer remember their sin. And that, word, that sentence there starts with the word for. If you're a grammar nerd, that's, that's a conjunction and it's linking the previous parts of that paragraph to that sentence. And what I love about that is that what it's saying is, you know, I will write my law on their hearts. I will be able to be their God and they will be able to be my people. They will each be able to know me through personal experience because I will forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sin no more. If we don't have forgiveness, if we don't have that cancellation of sin, God would never be able to write his law on our hearts. He would never be able to truly be our God and we would never be able to truly be his people. It's because of the forgiveness and the cancellation of sin that those other promises are able to be fulfilled. So, if we're focusing on that forgiveness and no longer remembering their sin, what did we just read in Matthew 26, right? It's my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It's his blood that ultimately enables us to be forgiven of sin. And that's why I say his blood not only established the covenant, but it's his blood that enables the promises of the covenant to also be full. Filled. Forgiveness comes through the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 is very, very clear around this. It tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22, you can probably guess the translation. It's, it's the Amplified. <laughs> and it says, In fact, under the law, almost everything is cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And this extra bit that is the bonus for the Amplified translation is one of the reasons why I really like the Amplified because it unpacks some really key words. It says, without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness, neither release from sin and its guilt, nor cancellation of the merited punishment. You see, forgiveness is so much more than someone just saying, don't worry about it. It says here that forgiveness is the release from sin and its guilt and the cancellation of the merited punishment. And that really grabbed me and stirred me that ultimately forgiveness is attached to this idea of canceling out the punishment that we deserved. And that took me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 15, an amazing passage. Um, and many of you would be familiar with this passage where it just talks about ultimately all that Christ has done for us. I think. I might have preached a message towards the end of last year where we talked about how 
Um, you know, that certificate of debt was nailed to the cross and we've been delivered and set free as a result of all that Christ has endured. And then it goes on to talk about how Jesus triumphed over all those spiritual tyrants, principalities and powers. And Colossians 2, 11 to 15, I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, but you can look it up in, in different translations. They all hopefully say a very similar thing. <laughs> It says, through our union with him, we have experienced circumcision of heart. All of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ the anointed one has accomplished for us. I love that. You know, the the, the power and the guilt of sin is cut away and is now extinct in the same way that animals might be extinct, never to be seen again. Sin itself has become extinct in our hearts and in our lives because of what Christ has accomplished for us. For we've been buried with him into his death. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power. The power that raised him from death's realm. This realm of death describes our former state, for we were all held in sin's grasp. But now we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return. For we are forever alive and forgiven of all of our sins. He cancelled out every legal violation we had on record. Other translations talk about cancelling out the certificate of debt and that old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all. Our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam. Isn't that interesting? Given where we started, the sin nature in Adam. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. There's actually a footnote in the Passion Translation here that talks about that reference to everything that once was in Adam and that he's erased our sins. It specifically says that ultimately the nature of Adam has been erased through what Christ has done on the cross. And then, I love this, then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner, they were his. What a powerful, powerful passage, just declaring the victory of Jesus. As I said, I feel like you could probably spend a whole year just looking at these handful of verses and what that truly means and trying to get our heads around our limited human understanding of what really occurred when Jesus died on the cross, was buried for three days and then rose again. Really, there's so much in all of that. But what I do know coming out of that is our sins and the punishment that we deserved, that was cancelled on the cross. It was forgiven. The debt was paid. The price was paid. We were redeemed. We were ransomed by the shedding of the blood of Jesus on the cross. Because in his death, it says there, that he was able to strip away every weapon and all the spiritual authority and power of those principalities of darkness. And that in itself, I think, is really important for us to understand. When you think about what occurred here, there was a time where Jesus was able to take back the authority away from the principalities and the powers of darkness that had been given to them all those years ago in the garden. And that word strip away or other translations say disarmed the principalities and powers. When you dig into that word, it actually means to to put off from oneself. 
The word picture is like taking off a garment in the sense of putting off of oneself. That, that word is only used one other place in Scripture, and that's in Colossians as well. Colossians 3.9, and it says, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. That's talking about you know, taking off a particular nature and putting something else on. That same word picture of taking off a garment and perhaps putting something else on. And as I said, I think this is really important to understand what Jesus endured for our forgiveness and how he paid the price for us to find freedom from sin, the ransom that he paid for us to be clean again. Because if he put off the principalities and powers, it suggests to me that at some point he must have put them on. Right? If he put off the principalities and powers of darkness, at some point he must have put them on. There was a moment where Jesus chose to clothe himself with all of the powers of hell. There was a moment where he willingly chose to put on all of the principalities and the powers of darkness so that he could pay the price for our sin. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about that before, but there was a moment where Jesus willingly chose to have all of hell released upon him. And I believe that that moment certainly began with that deep heart cry that he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that cry from the heart of Jesus echoes Psalm 22. Some of you might be aware of that. Psalm 22 verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And really interesting in early church tradition, that Psalm 22, which speaks about you know, Jesus on the cross, was read alongside Psalm 88 for Good Friday. It was Psalm 22 and Psalm 88 that were linked on Good Friday, speaking about the suffering of Jesus. And I believe Psalm 88 describes perhaps some of that wrestle, that torment, that terror that Jesus had to endure during those three days when he had clothed himself with the principalities and powers of darkness. Because we know that after Jesus died on the cross, According to Ephesians 4.9, it says that he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And it was there that he ultimately paid the price for our forgiveness. So I'm just going to read this from Psalm 88. If you want to just let these words kind of fill your heart, wash over you. I feel like, you know, reading through this a couple of times in preparing, you can, well, I could visualize Christ kind of crying out and wrestling and being tormented by those powers of darkness. So I'm just going to read this through. This is from Psalm 88. It's not every single verse, but it's a number of them. And it begins with, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near the grave, Sheol, the place of the dead. I am counted among those who go down to the pit, the grave. I am like a man who has no strength, a mere shadow, cast away from the living and abandoned among the dead, like the slain who lie in a nameless grave, whom you no longer remember and they are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths. 
your wrath has rested heavily upon me and you have afflicted me with all your waves. My eyes grow dim with sorrow. Oh Lord, I have called on you every day. I've spread out my hands to you in prayer. Will you perform wonders for the dead? Shall the departed spirits arise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the underworld? Will your wonders be known in the darkness and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness where the dead forget and are forgotten? I just picture those questions. You know, Jesus asking, Lord, will your faithfulness come through for me down here? Will your love prevail? Will we see your goodness come through? As he's wrestling with the powers and principalities of darkness. And it goes on. Oh Lord, why did you reject me? Why did you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and close to death. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your fierce wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like floodwaters all day long. They have completely encompassed me. Jesus, right here and right now, as we read those words of Scripture, and perhaps in our hearts and our minds, we think of and reflect on all that you must have endured. That you, through Psalm 88, talk about suffering and being overcome with wrath and terror. That that terror has surrounded you like floodwaters and that you are completely encompassed by the wrath and the terror of the judgment of God. Lord, while we don't understand it, while we can't comprehend it with our natural minds, may by revelation our spirits grab a hold of all that you have done. For you paid the price for our forgiveness. You paid the price for the debt that was ours to pay. You've cancelled out the punishment that we deserved. You've paid the ransom so that we might be clean again. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus. You know, those verses, as I said, in, in reading through them a couple of times in preparing, just feel like give a little glimpse into the suffering and the pain and the terror that Jesus must have endured in paying the price for our forgiveness and our redemption. And so if we try and bring some of this together, remember at the very beginning I was talking about sin being a deeply spiritual problem, that you can't deal with that through external rules and regulations and laws, and it needed a a spiritual cure. And I feel like that there gives us a picture of a spiritual cure, the suffering that Jesus endured. Those three days were the cure that we needed to find forgiveness and redemption from sin. Psalm 88 is that picture of of Christ reversing what had come upon humanity through Adam and Eve. Those three days, that suffering that Jesus endured was Christ reversing what had come upon humanity through Adam and Eve. Right, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that Jesus put on the nature of sin for he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So there was this idea where, like I said, Adam had been born again into the nature of sin. And the only way for us 
to find freedom from that was to have someone become the nature of sin for us. And that's what Jesus did. He became sin itself. He put on the powers and the principalities of darkness. And amazingly, again, I don't understand it in my human limited understanding, but after he had borne the punishment, after he had endured the wrath of God, after he had put on those principalities and powers, we read there in Colossians, there was a moment where he put them off again. I don't know exactly how that happened. I don't know exactly what took place in that moment. But there was a moment where he had paid the price and he was able to put off those principalities and powers and rise again triumphant and victorious. Hallelujah. The message translation says he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and he marched them naked through the streets. There's this idea of just overwhelming victory and triumph and conquering the darkness and the sin. Revelation 1.18 says, I died, but I see I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of absolute control and victory over death and of Hades, the realm of the dead. There was a moment where Jesus put off those spiritual principalities and powers, took the keys to death and Hades and rose again in victory, taking back authority, taking back control. Hallelujah. And so hopefully, you know, some of the threads are starting to come together where you can see that through the the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross, his death on the cross and his suffering, we're able to find forgiveness and redemption from the sin nature that we inherited through Adam and Eve. Right, it's ultimately through all that Jesus did that we're then able to have victory over sin, forgiveness from sin, redemption from sin, have the penalty paid for, the debt cancelled, through the grace, the goodness, the love and the victory that was won through Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. If it wasn't for the blood, there would be no forgiveness. If it wasn't for the blood, there would be no redemption. It's by his blood that we are now able to stand here forgiven and set free, redeemed from that sin nature. And ultimately at its core, right, this is the gospel message. This is the gospel. This is the good news that through the shedding of Jesus' blood and his death on the cross, we're saved from sin and death. And we're able to return back to God's original design for humanity. Come back to his original design and purpose for us to be sons and daughters of God. I almost see it as kind of like a divine circle of Redemption, coming back to the design that God had for us. We are created in the image of God with his divine nature. Through the fall in the garden, as I said before, Adam and Eve, they were born again, but in the nature of sin. And that has been humanity's inheritance ever since. But through what Jesus accomplished in his death, he took that nature of sin upon himself so that we might once again become partakers of the divine nature as it says in Scripture. There's this beautiful kind of cycle where we were created in the image of God, partakers of the divine nature. That was lost through the fall. Jesus then took on that nature of sin himself so that we could become partakers of the divine nature once again. And look, we've probably been going for you know, 30 odd minutes this morning and all we've really talked about is just 
Jesus' death on the cross and those three days. There's so much more when it comes to resurrection and not only the resurrection, but after putting on the, the principal, putting off the principalities and powers, Jesus rose from the dead. He spent 40 days appearing to his disciples and others. And then he ascended into heaven. And according to Hebrews, sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat of heaven. There's, there's so much more in all of that. And I feel like we've only scratched the surface of the power of the blood of Jesus. Right? The work of the blood is so much more than just forgiveness and redemption and the price that Jesus paid in those three days. The work of the blood wasn't over until Jesus once and for all sprinkled his blood on the mercy seat of heaven. You know, we see that even in, in John chapter 20, after Jesus comes back from the dead. I think it's Mary Magdalene sees him and Jesus says to her, do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And there's something really powerful there that we need to recognize that the Easter story itself doesn't end with the resurrection, but it actually ends with the ascension. Ultimately, that's when his work was done. So I didn't want to open up another whole can of worms um, this morning by going into too much detail on the resurrection and the ascension. We might perhaps on Ascension Sunday, which is 40 days after Easter Sunday, spend time talking about the ascension and all that that has accomplished for us. But really, my prayer this morning was that we would perhaps have a, a greater revelation and understanding of what Jesus endured and how that means that we are able to stand forgiven and set free and redeemed from the nature of sin, the power of sin. Because it's through his suffering, him becoming sin for us, that he was able to reverse what Adam had done all of those years ago. And so I might just kind of open it up from, from there, happy to have a bit of a conversation around any of this. I know that some of that was probably pretty heavy and there was a lot of scripture in that, but hopefully that helped perhaps piece some things together and stir something in each of our hearts where we're coming back to Jesus and him alone all that he has done and all that he has endured for us. Because that in, in itself is really what our lives as sons and daughters of God is all about. If it wasn't for him, we would have nothing. If it wasn't for his blood, we would have nothing.